Hello, my friends. This is life coach Mike Chargman, and welcome to an episode of Mike's Search for Meaning. I'm after some big questions. Why are we here? What makes a fulfilling life? How can we grow individually and collectively? Each episode, I'll dive deep with leaders who are doing great work in the world and see how they organize their life. Books read, value systems, resources used, and stories that show how each of you can create the life and the world of your dreams. My guest today is Cara Tremaine. Cara is a growth and development coach for executives, innovators, and business owners whose holistic practice includes somatic experiencing and psychedelic integration. Her own experience working closely with other executives and providers in the healthcare industry led her to a less traditional approach that addresses the traumas and stresses people bring to and play out in the workplace, which ultimately impacts their success and satisfaction. Additionally, I'll be donating to and raising awareness for the charity or organization of my guest choice with each and every episode. And in this episode, Kara has selected MAPS, M-A-P-S. Any and all donations make a difference, and the link is in the show notes. You can connect with Kara at TremaineCoaching.com, her photography website, KaraTremainePhotography.com, and on her LinkedIn, which are all in the show notes as well. Kara was introduced to me by a past guest by the name of Matt Helt. And what I most appreciated about this conversation and what I most appreciate about Kara's approach is that she is talking about things like psychedelics and psychedelic integration in pretty real time. These aren't experiences that happened 15, 20, 30 years ago. They are pretty recent experiences. And it could be pretty common for people to talk about their trials and tribulations and experiences long after they have happened. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's also really helpful to, in real time, talk about things that have been transformative. And so Cara really brings that into this conversation. And we focus a lot on somatics and how much information is communicated by and through the body. At one point in the conversation, Cara presences that about 85% of our communication is nonverbal. And I don't know what the actual breakdown is between how much time we spend thinking about the content of what we say or intellect versus communication of the body. But I would imagine we focus mostly on the words we are saying and not on the nonverbal cues that we are communicating. So things like pitch of your voice, posture, These are all things that communicate much more than the words we are saying. And a really obvious example is when we say we are good and we break eye contact or we have an uptick, I'm good, I'm good, that we have to convince the other person that we are good rather than in our body conveying that we are good. And the most prolific coaches like Kara that I know are integrating the body and the intelligence of the body into their work. So we focus a lot on this as well. I really enjoyed this conversation. Kara is such a kind, generous soul. And she brings a lot, like I said, of her own personal experience and practices into this conversation. So you're going to get a lot out of it. With all of that said, settle in, take a deep breath, and enjoy what Kara has for us right now. 
Welcome to Mike's Search for Meaning, Kara. Hi. How are you? <laughs> well, if I were to give my real answer like I did before we hit record here, we'd be here for a, about another half hour or so about how I'm doing. But right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, I'm working through some back pain right now. And also, I'm, I'm really excited. I've had a really nourishing, connecting day. And I'm, I'm really excited to be interviewing you and your first yeah. podcast interview. My first podcast interview. Thank you. And and I'll say it again. I'm so sorry about the back pain. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Your your empathy does go a, a long way. And I want to start the same way that, and, and you've listened to at least mine and Matt's conversation. So maybe you see this coming, but I start every interview the same way. I want to know what it was like at your dinner table when you were growing up. Mm, I do remember that. <sighs> that question. Oh, dinner table. So never really had a dinner table in my house. So um, my parents divorced when I was, uh, well, they separated anyway, when I was like two or three years old. And I grew up here in Los Angeles, which is where I am now. And well, my, my mom did not do well when he left. I mean, he left her because she was a, she was a new drug addict you know, she wasn't doing it before I was born and got into it pretty quickly after I was born. And um, back in the 70s, mom's got custody and, you know, he couldn't really do anything about it. So there was no there was no dinner table. Sometimes there wasn't dinner and there was a lot of foraging in my in my cabinets. Yeah. So there's it's even when I, I actually left my mom when I was 13 years old, because like my dad, I just eventually just were tired of, of living that way. And we had it a little bit when I, when I moved in with my dad, but it was very eighties. We had, we sat at the bar table and we watched television together. So there was a conversation, um, but I feel like that's a little bit a mark of the times. Although when I lived in the Midwest for about 16 years, I, I started to realize that people had very different lives in the Midwest than I had here in Los Angeles. And a lot of my friends were, I mean, not that they had parents who were drug addicts necessarily, but they, yeah, they're just dinner table talk. Wasn't quite, quite what it was in other parts of the country. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Did that continue for your mom? Like she started, I got what, what drugs was it? And uh, did it, did it continue? Like by the time you were 13 years old, was it, 13 years that she had still been a drug addict or yeah. was it kind of on off? Yeah. Not on off. Very, very on all the time. Yeah. So she actually, I think when it became hard to get is when she stopped. I mean, she went through so many drug treatments and she drank too. She drank and she did cocaine and she actually, I put her in a boarding care in 2020 here in Los Angeles because she'd fallen. I mean, she literally had a cocktail of prescription drugs. That's really what she moved on to. And she was a master at manipulating doctors and skipping doctors and just, you know, she knew the system and she just lived on these cocktails of, you know, al literally alcohol cocktails and cocktail cocktails. And she only really just got sober in 2020 because she was put in a facility where, you know, she didn't have access anymore and they were monitoring her medications. So lifetime. Wow. Yeah. Lifetime. Yeah. 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 Childhood was hard. It, in fact, I mean, childhood is, 
it's, it was, it was a difficult thing. And it's really the person that's made me who I am now. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot that I'm grateful for, but there's been a lot to undo from the process. Mm -hmm. She was a pretty absent mom. I remember the thing that I got attention for because there wasn't a lot of attention on me. I was an only child too. I had no siblings. The only thing I got attention for was getting good grades. And so school became like the place where I had any attention from teachers, from friends. I did have wonderful grandparents, like amazing grandparents. And I got to spend a lot of time with them. I actually credit my grandparents with you know, people have said, how did you turn out so well? Well, I, I had some balance, I think, because I got to spend a lot of time with them. Um, like every week I was at my dad's parents' house and, you know, probably every other week at the other grandparents' house. So they were pretty, they were pretty grounding. They were really grounding for me, but at home, if I got good grades, I would get a lot of praise, but otherwise I was I felt mostly ignored. She slept a lot. You know, she was always either on something or coming off of something. And I don't know anything about, you know, recreational drugs or I've never taken a recreational drug. So I don't, I can only imagine what it does to your system. And especially if you're adding other things on top of it, like alcohol, and then, you're, you know, she didn't eat very much food. So anyway, she, she was just a, a pretty absent parent, except when she had to show up. I used to have to remind her for days ahead if there was like a back to school night or a open house, you know, event or a play that I was in or whatever, I'd have to remind and remind. She just, she was just offline for the most part, except she would bring herself online when she was, you know, around family. Yeah. So it was a, it felt like people knew she was an addict, but nobody had a clue. Nobody had a clue in my family. It's something that I think a lot of kids of drug addicts, you know, can relate to and that you spend years protecting them. Mm-hmm. And for various reasons, like protecting her one, because if it ever got out, I'd get in trouble mm-hmm. protecting her because if it ever got out, I was worried how, what people would think of me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was embarrassing to have a a parent, you know, that could not, who could hardly function, you know, she, and when I look back now, I can see that she had some sort of personality disorder. I, I, you know, she's been diagnosed later, like in her seventies, but that diagnosis didn't really sit with me. didn't make a lot of sense, but you know, I'm not a, I'm not a therapist. I'm not, certainly not a psychiatrist. So I've not tried to diagnose or just know that something was off for her. So. Well, I, I really appreciate you sharing candidly your experience of that. And I, I trust that that's going to be, there's, there's a lot of ways that this could be an on-ramp into talking about why the work that you do today is so important or, and the, the healing that can be done for the, the child that had an absent parent or who in, in many ways just didn't get what she needed. Mm-hmm. And I would also, so I I would love to hear just a little bit more about what you were like as a child and and what initial uh, direction you took, because I know that you spent 30 years in varying different kind of professional hats, professional identities. Right, yeah. There's a lot of different, you know, we we can 
we're probably going to gloss over a lot of the details of what got you here today, but I would love to hear like what brought you into coaching, starting from, you know, what you were like as a child, what were some of the pit stops that you made along the way? Yeah. Oh gosh. Where do you even start? Well, I remember sometime in junior high when I realized that I could write, that I'd write papers and I'd get good grades and that I loved words and I loved grammar and I just, I did well at it. And, you know, I think so many of us, you know, I I hope that we change this. We think if you're good at it, then you should pursue it for career, but that's not necessarily the case. And I did fine writing, writing definitely was the bulk of my career, which I'll, I'll tell you shortly, but I look back and I think, oh, there's so many other things I would do now if I wouldn't, I wouldn't pursue writing, but at the time it was fun. You know, like I said, praise was important to me because it was a really quiet household. So somebody praised me for something. It was like, well, I think this is the thing I should do because it sure feels good when people say good things about when you write, you know, write something, excuse me. So I went into, I wrote for the newspaper in high school. And when I got to college, First, I was an English major, and I I changed that quickly to journalism. And it was really just because I didn't know what else to do. And when I look back, writing, you know, some people who go into writing, whether it's English or journalism, it just comes easy. Like they sit down and it flows and it feels good. It always felt like I was giving birth. I mean, when I was done, I'd be really happy with the result, but it was never something that just flowed. So you can imagine that you know, you you make a career and it's not just this thing that flows out of you super easily all the time that somebody said to me once, oh my God, you picked a career where you literally have to write a term paper all the time. And I thought, that's true. But, you know, it got a little bit easier as time went on. But so I was a journalism major and I actually wrote for a lot of newspapers when I was in college which not everybody was doing. I think it's become pretty commonplace now that people do internships, but I just pursued them because I wanted the experience. And so I wrote for about three different newspapers in Los Angeles and as like a stringer. That's what I think. I think it's still called stringer. I'm going to age myself. And, you know, I lived at home through college. And so I, I worked as a, as a server slash waitress and uh did, you know, commuted to school and wrote for all these newspapers. And it was a really busy life. It was a lot of fun. But when I got, when I got done with college, I got offered a job at the newspaper as a reporter, which is a really big deal. Not everybody gets that, but I was making more as a waitress, as a server than the salary that they offered. And it's, it occurred to me that I didn't even think about the salary when I picked my major in my career. So I turned that job down and ended up going into marketing and advertising. Mm -hmm. And I I wrote for for a bit, but I'm going to say probably three to four years in, uh, maybe a little bit more. I really went, I moved from the copywriting side of things into just the whole management of marketing, the whole process of marketing. So that helped because I wasn't doing writing all the time. And by year four, I think of my career, I landed in healthcare because I started in retail. And then I was working for a public affairs firm, which I'm not into politics. So that wasn't really a great fit, but I learned a lot. 
And I landed um, working for a hospital here and actually not too far where my daughter ended up being born. And, and as soon as I got into healthcare and I was doing, you know, marketing and healthcare, I thought, oh, this is where I belong. So even though I was still having to write more necessarily than I wanted, I, I loved healthcare. I loved everything about it. I loved the pace of it. I loved how there was so many, there were so many different things to learn and to know and helping the community and just being knowledgeable. I mean, it even helped my, my grandfather ended up at my hospital with pancreatic cancer and even just helping him navigate the system through that because he was at my hospital and I knew all of his doctors, it was, it was a gift. And I would say that's been a gift that keeps on giving throughout my career is being able to navigate that system because it's pretty complex for people, you know, Mm -hmm. but in 2000, I gave birth to my first child, my daughter, Emily, and I, I had three months of maternity leave and about four weeks out, maybe not even four weeks out. I had, this, you know, panic of, I cannot leave this kid. I was managing 10 hospitals for a health system here. And it meant that I had to do a lot of driving and I just couldn't do that with a newborn. It was just, I went from being this person who just loved, I I loved, I didn't mind driving Los Angeles that much and, you know, all the crazy traffic. I just, I really liked my job and I was leaving this job that I loved to, I decided to, you know, see what I could do for copywriting. I was like, well, you know, maybe I can at least spend my daughter's first year with her. And it was a big gamble. And so I started this, you know, consulting firm that was first, it was copywriting. And then people started asking me to do events. And then people started asking me to do entire campaigns for them. And, and I started learning more and more aspects so I could just do things myself. And then I would outsource when it was needed. And I went from being you know, a freelance copywriter to having a full marketing firm. And I had clients all over the country pretty quickly. Like when I look back, I think, God, that was a whirlwind, but I loved it. And I never felt like I had, I actually never had to look for work. It was, I credit that to me loving what I did and having really good relationships with my clients who felt like friends and it was pretty seamless. And uh, I did that for 16 years. And, and, and until I actually, until I burned out a little bit, <laughs> I burned out on having my own firm and ended up going to work. I got recruited to come back into the system. And ultimately I did that for, oh, I think another five years before I actually, we now own, we now own a few commercial buildings and Owning those has allowed me to transition out of that career. And so I didn't leave that career thinking I'm going to go into coaching. I left that career saying, what what is it that I want to do? Mm -hmm. And between deciding to go into coaching and leaving my career, I actually ran for a public office um, when I was living in Kansas City. There is a hospital there and its board is publicly elected. And so I ran for for that office and, and, and I won. And it put me back in healthcare, which made me really happy. I just, again, like I said, it's just a group of people that I enjoy. And while I was, while I was on that board position, I was having conversations with both my husband and then a former uh, boss of mine who's a COO for a health system out in the Midwest. And they both at the same time, when I was talking to him about some of the conversations I was having as a board member, they both said, have you thought about coaching? 
And, you know, I hadn't really considered it for myself. I knew lots of people who had um, at the administration level who had coaches of their own. And so I just pursued it. I just decided to pursue it. And I had no idea. I wish I had known because I would have done it so much sooner that I would love it as much as I do. And it's, it's also nothing what I expected. I don't know about you. Do you feel like it's nothing what you expected? Oh man. It, it is. And it isn't. I mean, I think that there's, there are lots of different pockets in our industry, but uh, I came to coaching at a younger age and I would probably posit at a, a much earlier stage of my development in terms of the way that I viewed growth and reaching our potential. And so I, I came into coaching. I think my lens was a very much around nutrition when I first got into coaching, which I don't know if you knew about me, but no, I didn't. Uh -uh. I, th I thought that Food was one of the first things that really shifted the way that I was able, I was like my level of, I didn't say it like this, but I'll say it like this now, my level of consciousness or my energy or whatever you want to call it is drastically impacted by the food that I'm putting into my body. Mm. And I feel like people don't know about this and I need to teach everyone about this. And so that I had that come from when I went into coaching that I needed to get relevant expertise and then help people come to where I am with my level of expertise, right? Like I need to teach them about what the right food is to eat and why that's having an impact and what's happening in their body and yeah. you know how malleable the brain is. And and those are all wonderful things. And they're they've been really useful for me. And what what I've come to in coaching is that that's <laughs> it's very little, if anything, to do with what it means to be in a one one-on-one -on -one arrangement with another human who is looking to, I don't know, be more of themselves in, in so many words, right? Like there's, I'm stuck in some way. I, I know there's something that I'm being called to. I don't really know what to do with this. It might, it might manifest in a million ways, right? Like career transition or going through a period of grief or loss, or there, there's so many different ways that life puts transition in front of us that maybe we don't feel resourced to be with it. And I now I look at coaching in that way, that coaching is really just helping someone kind of process what what's happening in their life mm -hmm. in a more three dimensional way. Yeah, nicely put. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's a long winded way of saying that is absolutely not what I expected. <laughs> right. Yeah. I did not think that's what coaching was when I got into it, that it, that it had anything to do with just helping someone get more in touch with their own inner wisdom and their own capacity to kind of be with where they are in their life. And, and also just accept the, the yearning that they have for something more. And like, how can, how can we create space for all of that to unfold and emerge yeah. in a more easeful way? maybe be another way to put it. I did not come into coaching with that lens at all. Right. And I'm still that's doing a lot of unlearning. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing that you, you know, I was just talking to somebody yesterday about this, somebody who's wanting to get into coaching. And I think, I mean, for me, the, the best part was you, you see how you show up. Right. And it, it's, 
you know, you, you learn about yourself in the process in, a, you know, in some ways in a, it can be painful, right? And then other ways you, you see where you shine. So it's, it, it forces you, it really forces you to do your own work. And yes. I, I, I can't speak for therapy. I, I would hope that that's the same way it goes down, but I feel like you can't really pass, you know, at least at the PCC level, you cannot pass that test if you're, you know, if you haven't done your own work, because it just shows up. Yeah. So. What, what was an expectation that you had for coaching and, and what, how do you look at it now? Mm. Gosh, I think that, I think, I think my teacher voice was really strong. I don't, you know, I don't know if you've read presence-based coaching, Doug, Doug Silsby's book, it, you know, talks about the various voices and one of them is the teacher voice. Right. Mm -hmm. And my teacher voice was strong and that was partly, you know, being a parent, that's partly being, you know, my positions, you know, as a consultant is telling people what, what to do. Cause that's why they were hiring me. And so I think in my head, it was, a it was, bit more teaching. And, you know, once you dive into the the work, you realize that, you know, that is the opposite of what it is, right? It's, it's helping people, you know, unlearn and learn themselves. And you can't tell them how to do that. Mm -hmm. It's a process. So I, I, I would say that's, that was my mindset going in. And it was a, it's been a 180, which has been great. Yeah. Well, I'd love to get into the way that you look at coaching now. And I know that we've kind of teed up beforehand a, a couple of different things that have really influenced that you're in the throes of and in, in the thick yeah. of right yeah. now. And I, I guess I'll just leave it open to you. Like, what, where do you want to go from here in, in almost a, a very coachy way? Like, <laughs> yeah. Hey, where do you want to go, Kara? <laughs> Kara, Kara. Kara, yeah. So you asked me, well... Where to start? So, you know, I came into coaching and I was, you know, once I I would I got through everything, I I would tell people I'm 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 an executive coach. And I kept saying I'm an executive coach. And as time, you know, with the more clients that I worked with, both in training and out, that title has not sat with me. And so I've recently moved over to the term growth and development coach because. It just feels better because what happened, what I've noticed with, you know, if somebody has no experience with coaching and, you know, executives, I've worked with a lot of executives and they think that, you know, I, I, I imagine that a lot of people, not just executives come to coaching saying, okay, so I just want some tools. Just, I need to know, cause I'm, I'm clearly not doing this right. And they think that your job as a coach, they have no idea is to provide them tools. And, and so and I know that there's coaches out there that that actually do that too, right? Even though they've been through the same training as us and they have ICF certification, that's still kind of, you know, how they they sell their services. And what I noticed is we talk about compartmentalizing, you know, for executives. Well, I just, you know, you leave your home stuff at home and your your work stuff at work and and what I noticed every time people showed up was there's no compartmentalizing, right? There's, you bring your work home and you bring your home to work. And so to, to really just address how you're, you know, just having conversations with colleagues or, you know, why you can't, you know, why you're struggling to meet your deadlines and, 
you know, why, you know, why you're not able to manage your workload because the deeper, the, the answers for them or the work is really a lot deeper than they think. I had a client once who, you know, we did 12 sessions together and she said, I want to do some more work with you. She goes, I'm going to take some time, really kind of, you know, wanted to integrate everything. And she had a really good experience. She said, <laughs> she said to me later at the end, she said, I think I just, I want to do less emotional stuff next time. And, and I chuckled and I said, well, that's really up to you. You know, I, I'm not driving the emotional stuff. It's, it's the questions that you ask you know, or what you reflect back to them that brings out the emotional stuff. And it shows mm-hmm. them that they're not really compartmentalizing as well as they think. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's kind of my new, you know, my new lenses from growth and development, because I want, you know, whoever it is, if it's, I definitely love working with professionals because after th- almost 30 years in corporate America, I, I, I think we all desperately need help because we are, everybody is burned out and cultures are just, you know, it's, it's killing us and it's killing industry. And, and I think that's where the work is. So that's why I like helping professionals because I feel like I I think it'll make a huge difference in, in just in people's lives in general. And you can end up talking about personal stuff and work stuff and it both benefit, you know, benefits, benefits them both ways. It does seem like, in my experience, the most effective on-ramp because we do spend most of our waking hours at work. And there's a lot of, for for better or for worse, a lot of our identity is wrapped in who we are as a professional. And I know that I fall victim to this very often, the, the compartmentalization that Oh, the, you know, the only thing that's missing in my life is that I don't, you know, I'm not fulfilled by my career. I don't feel uh, lit up by what I'm doing. And, and for me, it was accounting was my initial career path. And I had it all made up in my mind that I just needed someone to tell me what to do. And then I'd go out there and do the thing. Right. And yeah, it's a book. the gift of coaching for me personally has been that I've worked with people who are patient enough to not take the bait and say, okay, here's what I think you should do. They have really helped me get clear on ways that I was showing up at work that was blocking me. So I guess there's there's a level A, what is it that you're wanting at work that you're not getting? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And just slowing down to ask that already is like, huh, there's like, it, it, I'm already maybe a little more open and curious to the, the possibility that what I want is available in my current reality as it's constructed. And, right. and then like, how are you showing up so that that's not available? Yeah. Those are, I mean, you could do entire coaching engagements that really just kind of focus on questions that, of that vary around the same exact thing there, right? Like what yeah. do you really want? What's, yeah. what's, what need of yours would you like to be met? What's getting in the way of that being met? And then that seems like an on-ramp into the inner work that that needs yeah. to be done. Yeah. And most people can tell you what they don't want, but when you stop and have them focus on what they do want, it's, it's actually hard for them. You know, we spend so much time in the negative space or people do. Yeah. You know, the other thing when I, with Doug, you know, his program that he put together and BB, BB Hansen, who now yeah owns and runs, yeah, BBC. 
they are the ones that introduced me to somatics. And so somatics has now become something that has, is really integral to how I coach. And I didn't even know what somatics was before I did PBC. I mean, I knew what the word soma meant, but you know, I hadn't been, I didn't know anybody who was doing it. I feel like maybe one friend who was a therapist mentioned it possibly familiar, but and so when I was first introduced to it, I, and I consider myself pretty open-minded and I was like, what in the world are we doing? And I really was, I, I had a, my whole body ironically was very rejecting of, of the work, but you know, I, with, we spent a solid year because I did uh, their beginning program and I did their advanced program. And so somatics is completely weaved in and it's part of what we're tested on. And the more I started to do the work, the more it made sense. And, and so I started bringing that into clients and just like me, you know, it's very awkward in the beginning and, but it's really become not quite, maybe not quite half of the work that we do in coaching together, but really showing them how, you know, the language of the body works when they're, you know, working on goals, you know, everything around boundaries to trying to, you know, set, set goals for yourself that it's, you know, the body is just as integral as the mind. Yeah. And, and I kind of self felt in the beginning of doing that, that I was really just doing what they said to do, you know, in the training. And I wasn't really feeling it quite as much, but I had an experience about two years ago through my therapy, I started working with plant medicine, mushrooms and ayahuasca. And there's a lot to say about that, but the thing where I was going with it was I had an experience with ayahuasca that, and, and if you don't know this about ayahuasca, I don't know if you've done it or if you know any, if you had many conversations with people, but it's an amplifier. And so it's going to show you what's going on with you, like, you know, in full force. Mm -hmm. And I spent whatever it was, six to eight hours in that space with ayahuasca, feeling the most uncomfortable I have ever felt in my life. My body felt like, I don't even know how to describe it. I mean, like most people who do plant medicine, it's a hard thing to describe. They even have a word for it. You know, it's ineffable. And, but it felt like I was gripped and I'm, I'm showing you, they can't see me doing this, but like, you know, imagine you're, you're, you're clenched throughout your entire body. It felt like I was clenched from head to toe for six to eight hours. And somewhere around the sixth hour, it occurred to me that it was showing me the state of my body all the time. Mm. And that was my window, like the thing that really cracked me open to somatics. Mm -hmm. And it was like, oh, I get it. You know, before that, I'd say, I always keep my shoulders up. I need to get a massage. Mm -hmm. And I was dismissive. And yeah, and I will say, too, that, as you know, there's a purging piece in ayahuasca at, yeah. toward the end, which is hard as well, really hard. And when I finished, it took me about two weeks but after I had done that ceremony, I noticed that I stopped clenching my jaw and wow. I was a lifetime jaw clencher. Like I grinded my teeth at night and I had a lot of pain, like through here, just around, you know, just below the jaw. 
where it, where it meets your neck of just massive tension and spending time with my body and working through and doing some discharging, which is technically what, you know, the vomiting is in ayahuasca. And it, it allowed me to release some tension that I'd held for my entire life. And I was, like I said, I was just, I was hooked and it was, uh, it took me about, I started doing, you know, somatics work soon after and um, with a couple different people, including coaching. And then it took about a year and I just, I decided to enroll in the somatic experiencing training, which is Dr. Peter Levine's program. Mm -hmm. And, and so I'm about halfway through my first year, but this, this is the work because I don't know, you know, how, how other people feel, but I hit a place with therapy and with coaching where I went, I am so tired of talking. I have been talking about, you know, working through all of this childhood stuff for so long. And I was like, what else can I say? So two things happen. One, of course, is that when you're working with plant medicine, you get new material because you get new insights and you're doing shadow work. And so you have, you get new material from that. But secondly, I, I had a, an entirely new place to do work, which was my body. Mm-hmm. And that work for myself then permeated into my work with my clients. And it is, it, you know, I love coaching, but the somatic work is teaches them so much because I have a lot of clients that would show up and say, I'd say, hi, how are you? And they say, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great. And their shoulders are up here. They have an energy drink in their hand. And you can see that they're bouncing their leg. Yeah. And, you know, if we just took somebody based on, oh, I'm great, I'm great, I'm great, we would move forward, you know, and miss a whole lot of other information. So it's really changed my lens for seeing my clients and myself and my family. Yeah. Mm. There's there's a lot of different directions, that, like threads that I would want to pull on. I One of them is what did I, I've never done ayahuasca myself. I've dabbled a little bit with mushrooms. I've never done a full three and a half gram dosage. So I've never actually really hallucinated. It's been more recreational in nature. But one of the things that I understand about psychedelics is that a a lot of times the insights are profound Mm -hmm. and the integration can be a challenging process. So one of the threads I want to pull on is, I mean, on one hand, I hear like you, you were purged, you realize my body is like this, you know, my shoulders are hiked up all the time and I'm tense and I'm, I'm purged of that. And now my jaw is not tight, but were there other insights that maybe you were able, and it doesn't have to be through ayahuasca, maybe it was other plant medicine Mm -hmm. experiences, but insights that you had that were challenging to integrate in some way. Yeah, for sure. There's many. And, you know, when I first started that work, because, you know, if you've heard people say it's like 20 years of therapy in in one, Mm -hmm. you know, in one sitting, which is true and not true, right? because the work really begins when you're out. It's it, the integration is the work. And, and so some of the stuff that I've been working on undoing, I think is going to take years, right? 
And so I never want to pretend that, you know, even in two years that some things are completely resolved. I, I, I think it's just how to respond to things has changed. So I'm trying to think there's so many ways I could go with, you know, things that were challenging to integrate. I think if we go back to what I shared with you at the beginning of, of this, when I was telling you about the need for validation from my family, because I, I just felt fairly invisible in certain ways. And so seeking validation when you have felt invisible becomes your way of being, or it became my way of being. And I feel like seeking out validation is probably has become my biggest work and seeing how it shows up and because it shows up in so many different ways and, and just unraveling that and really, you know, it's more than just, you know, I need to stop validating. You need to understand it's anyone I'm, I'm hesitating to explain it because what what's come for me from plant medicine is again, it comes back to, it's so hard to describe because I feel into, you know, the work is stopping yourself enough to feel into what it is that you're doing. Like when, you know, if I have somebody who I feel that I, I work hard on, you know, getting validation from, which is a hard thing to admit, by the way, when you're 50 years old, you're like, Oh my God, I'm still doing this. But you know, there's certain people, whether it's a parent or whoever, you know, a family member is to, you know, the, the part that's been hard is that it's actually been more somatics because I can ask for advice. Cause I, you know, part of my integration is that I was going every week to therapy for, you know, over a year, every single week and talking about what I was integrating. And I can ask for advice, like, how do I draw a boundary around this? Or how do I stop caring what somebody thinks? And somebody can talk to you about the reason, the reasons why you do things perhaps, and, you know, even give you pointers on how to draw those boundaries for yourself. But it's really committing yourself to feeling into it. And I think that's why I always go back to somatics. It's like when I start to say something to somebody who I know is naturally triggering for me, maybe it's a personality type, right? Or, or an archetype in my own family or whatever it is, is to make, to stop and really feel it. And we don't, we don't do that naturally. We just talk. Right. And so I would say that that's probably been the hardest thing for me to integrate. And it's something I'm still working on. I've come a long way, but it is, it is my work for sure. I think out of all of it, because it started so young and it was, you know, it was so gratifying, but yet not, but you thought it, I thought it was gratifying for so long. And mm -hmm. um, I have to ask you really fast. How's your back? <laughs> <laughs> uh, my back is doing great. Thank you. I okay. appreciate it. Okay. <laughs> I saw you move a little bit. I was making sure you're good. Yeah. I'm squirming around a little bit and it's given the, given the circumstances that I just threw out earlier this morning, it, it's the best it's going to be, but I, I really appreciate you checking in with me. Yes. Yeah, uh, I've been through this enough times to know that this, this too shall pass. And I will, when we get off the call, I'll be nice and gentle with myself and Good. whatever I need to do to take care of it. I will. But in this moment, I'm, I'm right here with you. I, I feel okay. really connected and 
I'm I'm really appreciating the something that is really helping me feel a little bit more at ease with my own experience is the ways that a lot of times I want there are parts of me that wants the lag time between insight and integration to just be instantaneous. <laughs> totally, right. <laughs> and you know, I I think what I'm appreciating about what you're speaking into right now that I think is really valuable for me and for anyone who's listening right now is that insight is can be really profound and yeah. integration it sometimes it happens quickly and from in my own personal experience it takes lots of repetition and yeah. i don't know if that gets quite enough airtime that it, t- it takes a while for a pattern to be unlearned and and to be able to contextualize like this is why this pattern emerged and this is what I feel in my body when this pattern is showing up for me. And yeah, I have found that patience, gentleness, and self-compassion have been really tools that I've been adding into my toolkit that have helped me realize it takes, these things take some time, even yeah. though, like you said, with, with plant medicine, there could be a quick download into the insight. <laughs> Yeah. The integration. Which is amazing. Which is is. amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. And it's, it's, it's amazing to see that it's, it's coming back online as a tool that people are really putting out there. And it's, it's gotten kind of a bad name from its reputation in the last 50, 60, 70 years. Yeah. But it's really, yeah, it's heartwarming to see that it's making a comeback for the different ways that it can be really healing and, and helpful to support letting go of things that haven't been serving us and in a way that talking and talking and talking doesn't give us access to. No, no, it's, I don't know how long, but I mean, there's quite a few States that are, you know, within the next two to three years, I think are going to, you know, have it online, making it legal and accessible. We have Oregon and we have Colorado and we have DC, Oakland, in California, but California as a state is still working on it. Um, I'm actually forgetting all the other states, but there's quite a few that are coming up. So I'm excited. I'm really excited, especially in California. That would be nice. Yeah. Available for people because, and it's work that I hope, I hope to be doing. I'm going to be doing a training coming up. It's starting in April because I want to be at the forefront doing my own work and then being able to provide it for other people. It's in fact, what I want to, you know, what I, what I, I'm hoping that it becomes, you know, first we're, they're doing a lot of training for, um, say, you know, psychotherapists to do this work. And, but there's also programs that are doing it for coaches. And I think that in general, not even just with psychedelics, coaches are, you know, we don't have enough therapists in this country. And I think coaches are stepping into a, a role that's not therapy, but it's definitely therapeutic. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that this work will be an incredible compliment to what we do as coaches. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And definitely an area of that I'm wanting to explore myself. I, I want to rewind a little bit and talk about both presence-based coaching and somatic experiencing in, yeah. in your experience of them. You can go in any order you want, but we've, we've definitely spoken a little bit about what it means to bring the body into like the wisdom of the body and what it means to bring the body into a coaching arrangement where it's not just about 
the tools, right? Like time management tools and whatever, like how, here's, here's how I set boundaries and here's how you can set a boundary. There's, it, there's much more wisdom. It's much more complete and three-dimensional when you incorporate the body. And yeah. I imagine that presence-based coaching and somatic experiencing have really helped you paint a brighter picture around how to utilize that with yourself and with your clients in, in coaching. So yeah, I would love to hear you just speak to either or both of of those experiences. Yeah. And I should mention BB told me that Doug, the you know, the creator and founder of presence-based coaching, that he actually did the first year of somatic experiencing, which is why it's weaved into his training. And which makes sense because as I, as I've been doing the somatic experiencing training, I'm like, okay, these are all things that, you know, Doug incorporated. So it's, I had some exposure. I mean, it's far deeper than, than what we just do in PPC, but, but it, it was a really, really good foundation. So I want to make sure I understand just what the question is, just how I weave it in. I guess let's just start with insights that you, like what, mm. what opened up for you when you started to take these, uh, we'll start with presence-based coaching. That, that oh, was the what, first one, right? Yeah. Presence-based coaching was, yeah, was the first thing I did. And I just started somatic experiencing training in fall of last year. So what started or what opened up, you know, it's funny to me because now that I've been through the training and I, I don't know other coaching programs, but to not incorporate the body you know, I've, I've been told that 85% of communication is nonverbal. Mm. And if that's the case, right, then we, we're leaving out so much in, in coaching and in therapy if we're not checking in with the body. So to me, you know, they call it a bottoms-up approach as opposed to top-down, right? You've probably heard that. And, you know, the first – when people ask us a question – and, and it'll happen too with my clients. And we, we automatically do the thing where we, you know, we look up because we're accessing, right? We automatically go to our, you know, that's how we know how to think. And so what it opened up, one of, one of my coaches, you know, the, the term that she uses, and I, and I like to borrow from her, is that it's, it's new data for us to use about ourselves. And, and that's, you know, that's what I saw happen both for myself as well as my clients was that they, you know, if I said, how about you check in with your body, especially when they start to do that thing where they look up with their eyes and they're accessing their brain. And I'll say, I notice, you know, I'll call it out because we're so used to doing it. I notice that you are thinking pretty hard. What if we dropped into the body and see what comes up from there? And entirely, entirely new information that they could not come from in their head. You know, somebody kept saying to me, a client was, I had a client who loved to do, to be helpful at work, loved to help her boss, loved to help her colleagues. And she was exhausted, but she didn't understand it. She didn't see the correlation between how much helping she was doing and, you know, how it affected her, her well-being. Because she saw it as just, it's a really nice thing. She's like, I like to be nice to people which of course we all like to be nice people and we understand, right? But when we spent some time in her body and just exploring the sensations and the thing about somatic experiencing is, you know, we think about it as sensations, but it's more than just the sensations in our bodies. It's, it's 
images that come up. It's, yeah. you know, our own behavior. Like I, you know, I'll point out and say, you're saying this one thing, and this is something that we learned in SE, but also Doug incorporated into his training with PVC is you're saying this, but what I'm noticing is that your body is saying no. What do you notice in your body? So it's just, it, it shows them how they're fooling. A lot of times they're fooling themselves into believing something is important to who they are and how they live. And when really they've been rejecting it. And it's interesting how our minds can kind of keep us locked in that space, but our, our bodies do not lie. Mm -hmm. It's where we get disease and it's where we have pain and, you know, all, all sorts of things. So that was through PVC. And then as I've moved into SE training, I've been incorporating, incorporating even more, of course, because it's, it's, you know, it's a very dense, dense training around somatics. It's very complex. Actually, you know, it comes to mind. I don't know how you feel about your coach training, but I felt, I felt for the longest time as I was working through my hundred hours for ICF, that I, there was just, I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it. I wasn't getting it. Like I'd miss opportunities, you know, cause we do the mentor coaching and they'll say, did you see where you missed this? And I'd get frustrated. Like, you know, when am I going to, when is this going to come flow naturally? And it's somewhere like truly around 80 to hundred hours, all of a sudden I could, I, I could feel it in my body, which is what BB talks to us about, which is you, you won't have to think about it you'll start connecting. And so I started to feel that in coaching, you know, that it just, it was in my body. It's like, I learned it and it was like integrated. And I mean, it's still a work in progress as it should be. We should always evolve. But then when I got to somatic experiencing, it became a deeper connection into my own body because a big part of what we would, what we worked on with Doug's program and BB that we do is, is, being in the resonance with our clients. Yeah. And, and it becomes, I'm, I'm a Reiki master practitioner and it's the more you do Reiki and the more you do coaching and the more you do somatic experiencing, the more you actually start to feel that energy and it becomes something that feels like your intuition, it becomes your intuition. Like I can suddenly feel when something has shifted and there's no reason for me to see anything, but that's because I'm sensing into my body and connecting with my client instead of trying to think my way through the perfect question or the right direction, but like really physically being there instead of being in my head. Mm. Yeah, lots of thoughts on this. I, I still feel very, and I've logged well over 100 coaching hours at this point, but I, I still feel very much that I am getting the hang of like the, like something's missing, that I, for whatever reason, I've been hesitant to bring in, to really commit to bringing the body into my coaching practice. Why is that? Hmm. I think that I have a belief that there's a fear that if I really, it depends. Some of my clients say they're right there and, and I can sense that and I just go, and, but there's a, a fear and a belief that I have that some of the clients I'm working with are resistant to it. Or there's also, I taught, I alluded to my lack of patience, that patience is something I'm trying to actively cultivate where if I 
will invite my client into their body, it usually, there might be like five seconds of eyes closed and then it's immediately right back up here. And I don't know if I've built my own capacity enough to just gently, without being annoyed, like, no, 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 get, psh, that's your body. <laughs> yeah. That's like, okay, fine. They're not ready. Like, let's let them talk in their head. That seems like yeah. they're more comfortable there. So I, I think that that's my own kind of non-judgmental self-assessment that I have about it is that I have a fear of it. And also just like the way that somatics is still perceived as the way that you rejected it when you said in the beginning yeah. of what the, so I'm, I'm open-minded too, right? But it's like, what are they talking about? <laughs> yeah. It could feel a little out there, but, but to your point that you said, I, yeah, I, I've probably heard this before, but 85% of what we communicate is, is nonverbal. That's like, it really helps to underline and, and kind of triple underscore that, that the words that we're communicating are, <laughs> they're mostly being conveyed in ways that aren't the actual content of the words we're saying. They're in some sort of body language and energy. And I know that when I am in a good coaching session that I am, whether it's the as the client or as coach, that we are responding to each other's energy more than just what is being said. Yeah. And, you know, I was in that space that you're in. And you know what? I, I think that once in a while, depends on who it is. Every so often, I, I kind of shrink back a little bit still. I think when I can see somebody's like, what? do you want me to do, you know? And so I'll have my moments of shrinking a bit thinking, Oh God, this is going to be uncomfortable. And is this, this is where I want to go, but I really feel passionate about it. So it's, yeah. I think it, be, it it's really about you getting comfortable and, you know, I'll name it and say, I know it's, it's, this is now. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it's going to feel different, silly, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're feeling. And I'll just say, tell me what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. When I, when I told you to feel in what came up for you uh -huh. and um, kind of try to walk people through so that it doesn't feel, well, I don't even want to name it just that it doesn't have that same feeling and just try to really normalize the process because it's not just some fluffy thing. No. It, I mean, it's, it really isn't. It's, it, it it's, it's, you know, for people who, you know, really successful people who, who love, you know, meeting goals, it is an, it's just another way to meet those goals, to understand yourself better and understand why you're hitting barriers and how you can succeed more. I mean, it's not just for trauma work. I, you know, I picked somatic experiencing because it was a really deep dive into it it's three years, but I, I, I want it for more than trauma. I mean, stress yeah. comes up all the time. So I love, I love really dissecting now what part feels uncomfortable, because uh -huh. if we can talk it through, then I'm not trying to convince somebody. Mm -hmm. It's really coming to understand what feels uncomfortable about it and then sharing with them when I'm uncomfortable. You know, there's moments yeah. when I feel yeah. a little uncomfortable, so it still shows up and, you know, I'm pretty committed to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What else has, it's been six months in somatic experiencing. And so what, what else has deepened in the six months of doing somatic experiencing that has in, enhanced or brought in some way more color to what you initially picked up at presence-based coaching? 
you know, it's a, the first year is a really deep dive into the fight, flight, freeze and fawn response. The first three being the biggest, right? And I think it's, you know, we, we, we talk quite a bit about polyvagal theory and, you know, just the nervous system. It's really just feeling, and I'm not at a place where I feel like I can, I can talk about it in, in a real scientific way. I'm still digesting all of that and still learning it. But what's funny is, again, like I said, and I'm going to repeat myself, but just like coaching, you can get all of that scientific information, which we learn so that you can understand the science and it does not matter what the science is. I mean, it's good to know it, but it's really just befriending your nervous system. We talk about tending and befriending the nervous system. Mm. And so it, it helps me to really understand, you know, I shared with you when we, when we first talked before, you know, doing this today, when we, when we had our introductory call that it's helping me see what kind of parents I was and what I need to help undo for my own kids. So I would say that that's probably become the best part of the work. I used to, well, I had a re- I had a really dysregulated nervous system. I feel so much better in my own body over the last year, but it's only been in the last year. And before that, I was working toward coming down from so much dysregulation, but that showed up in my parenting, you know, and I can see how it impacted my kids. <laughs> About a month or so ago, I had real irritation with LA County on something that they haven't done that I've been working on for four years with them. And so I walked into my office and I threw a book down and my son came down the hallway and I said, damn it. You know, as I threw the book down and my son came in and he wanted to know if everything was okay. And we had to have a conversation. I said, I bet that was triggering for you, wasn't it? And he goes, it was. And so I, it was an opportunity to talk to my own kid and say, I know I was dysregulated. I know why, but what we need to do is for the time that you have left in the house is really work through with that. And you, you can talk to me about anything that's hard and what you're struggling with, because I told him, I said, I didn't even understand what I was dealing with. I didn't have language for it. It was too, I I had too much shame around it that, you know, now I'm unraveling it and I can, and and he came to me later, something else, there was a loud sound in the house. And, and he said, because I tell myself that I know things are so much different in the house together. And, you know, the way we talk and the way we communicate is so much different. He's like, but my body still responds. And I just love that just doing this somatic experiencing work and bringing it home for my family gives him language and helps him understand that it still lives in his body. Even though we can have really good conversations about the difficulties of how I used to be. Mm -hmm. So I would say that's been, I'm not even sure if I answered your question (laughs) exactly (laughs) from what you asked me, but yeah, just bringing it home and spending more time with my nervous system. Because I think when I would, it wasn't nervous system work for me when I was doing it with PVC. Now it's nervous mm-hmm. system work. And so that's the big differentiator, I think, for me is not just noticing where things show up, but knowing what I need to do. And, you know, we work on how to move it through the body. Yeah. So that it completes, so that you, you, what happens is the, the more that you work 
do this work on your body because it is not a one and done thing. For some people, it might take a few years. For some, it might take six months. It just depends, right? But the things that used to come up that would set you off, it's not that it's not that they don't still get you to an extent, but the charge that it has on your system just goes down and down and down. And you can start interacting with your body in real time instead of constant, your body's just my, you know, my body was living in the past. It still does in, in a lot of ways, but it's working more in real time. And that's the work is noticing it right now. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much for sharing that. I I want to know tools that I'm careful of using the word tools, but <laughs> ways, maybe ways that you are befriending and tending to your nervous system, because I have found that to be immensely impactful as well. But I think before that, I'm wondering, like, I know that there's, I have a bunch of different tendencies that I I can relate to seeking approval and validation. And one of the ways that I have grown is identifying where that lives in my body. And could you speak to ways that you're able to notice when that is showing up for you? Is it as a somatic experience rather than a concept? I think one, there's a, a flavor of therapy and coaching that is, let's just, revisit the insight again. Oh, you know, I'm doing the thing because my mom didn't pay attention to me when I was younger. And okay, so now I notice it awareness. But what brings it a deeper texture to it is noticing, well, what, how did I if I were to envision that moment that I was seeking validation or approval? What what happened in me? Mm hmm. Well, so, I would love I would love to hear from you first. I'm just yeah. curious. Yeah, yeah, what what you're actually doing, and then I can answer. But you have me curious. What are you doing? What what happens in me when I'm seeking? Yeah, validation? yeah. You said that you're 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 working through some of that. Yeah, is what you're doing. Yeah, one of the ways that I do it is, I notice that I seek metrics with. So let's just say if I post on LinkedIn. I, there's kind of this hyper dopamine character in me that's like telling me, you got to go see how many people you're going to go engage with them. And, or, or maybe listen to not listen to look at how many podcast downloads I have. I notice that it, if I tune into what's happening in my body in those moments, there is my, my thoughts are kind of jumping around really quickly. I notice that a lot of my I don't feel grounded. Like I don't feel like my feet are on the floor or that I'm in touch with my full body. It feels like kind of chest or even neck up. And there's a, there's kind of a scattered energy in my body that feels like I want to jump all over the place. Right. It's like the over caffeinated feeling of being jumpy and maybe my legs are, are shaking or doing that. You know, when I was younger, that used to be really present that my leg would bounce up and down because I had so much energy Right. And yeah, the, the inner work that I've done has helped me just notice before I just go, okay, let me type in LinkedIn, let me type in Instagram, which I used to do and just kind of go on the merry-go-round of all the social media apps and, yeah. and you know, maybe come out of that an hour later and go, what, the, what did I just do the last hour? 
I can I can notice it ahead of time of like, oh, like my mind is a little scattered right now. And uh, I feel like my energy is moving upwards and I, I don't notice my feet on the ground. Let me just see if I can be where I am for a second. Yeah. That's been really helpful. That's been one way that I seek validation is by like, I want lots of people to be engaging with my with my work. And so that's that's one way it shows up for me. Yeah. Well, speaking of validation, let me validate that if you have a podcast, it, it's it's also okay to want more people to listen to your podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> but my my question for you is once you notice that, what do you do with the information? Mm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I bypass and go, okay, good. Noticed it. Let me just type in Podbean or LinkedIn anyway. And like, I have compassion for myself that that's my response sometimes. Yeah. And what I aspire to and what I do a lot of the times is whatever validation. So I ask myself, what is the validation I'm seeking? Like, what would be the meaningful thing that you would want to know about yourself by if, if 50,000 or a million people listen to this, what would that mean about you? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what I'm wanting to hear is your work is really making a big difference. Like you're, you're doing really great work. You're, you're touching people's lives. And when I'm at my best, I can tell myself that instead of looking outwards for other people's approval, I can give myself that approval. Another concrete example that this just happened the other day where I was really proud of myself in this moment that I... I'm leading a public speaking course right now. And one person has been showing up very, there's been a few people showing up, but one has very consistently been showing up. And he's made in the last 10 weeks, he's made dramatic improvements as a public speaker and as a communicator. And I wanted to go message him. I'm really proud of the progress that you're making. You're doing really great work. And I stopped myself and I said, wait a minute, what, is that something that I want to hear right now? Is that something that I'm seeking for myself too? Good and the answer you. was yes. Yeah. And I said, ah, oh, like, I don't think I've acknowledged myself quite enough for the progress that, that I'm making and the development that I'm making. So before I send a message, let's just acknowledge the progress that I'm making in my life that I, I am when I'm still enough. I'm, I'm really proud of where I'm at in my life and uh, the person I am and, and the work that I'm doing, the way that I'm showing up. And it can be easy for me to be dismissive of that and to just have that as a thought and go, okay, on to the next. But like talk about it feeling different in my body when I actually allow it to really land in me. Yeah. Like to really receive appreciation. Like, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for appreciating me, Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I would even go further that when, when you do get validation, whether you, you know, seek it out or you get it, you know, on its own, that's also a thing to file in your body, right? Yeah. Because if we actually take in, unless we keep going for that dopamine hit, you know, if we don't take in what people actually say, it doesn't matter how many times or how many people say it, right? Yeah. Well, that was great work. Thanks for sharing. I appreciate that. It's good to hear. So, Like I said, with PVC, it was a big part of noticing. It was a lot, you know, and that's half the work. You and I know that just from coaching. Like as soon as you start paying attention, right? 
But what I found that's different that I really bring into my life, there's a lot of things I bring into my life, but the moment we give our body attention, it's just, it's the same work in noticing when we tell clients between sessions, like half the work, more than half the work is the fact that you actually see when you, a behavior comes up or a habit comes up, right? That's a huge part of the work. Well, just ten, just giving some attention to your body, I feel like is half the work. Like mm-hmm. the moment I tell a client to tune in, you know, they'll start, you know, it's hard to know sometimes if it's sympathetic or parasympathetic, but they'll yawn, which is discharge. And, and we actually yeah. recently learned that too many yawns at once could actually be more of a sympathetic rise, not a discharge into parasympathetic. But anyway, just giving your, your body that attention and checking into what it needs in the moment, like what your body needs. But for me, it's, I've rushed through everything in my life just because that is the pace of our culture. And it's certainly the pace of, you know, healthcare um, that I have learned speaking of patients, it's really slowing down and being with it, but not just being with it to learn, but it's to see what it needs. And so you know, sometimes I'll move clients through, you know, when they're feeling a sympathetic arousal, you know, I'm moving them through into a parasympathetic, right? It's, it's, it's called pendulation. And, and when they come back up to that sympathetic state, it should have less charge and it usually does. So just being rather than directing to, I'm learning to just be and see what it needs. And it can be, you know, sometimes it's laid down for five minutes. Sometimes yeah. it's stay still sometimes, but I, I have spent most of my life giving really quick answers to myself and to people and feeling actually really good about how fast I can respond. And it's actually been really detrimental. And so I feel like when I stop and ask well, there's so much that happens. I'm like, where do I start? It's like the hard feeling, you know, I can just see, you know, where it wants to move in my body, which it's so funny to be having this conversation with you because I'm still so new to it that I can remember back that two years ago, I'd be like, what do you mean? Mm -hmm. But you have to feel it. You have to do the work, but seeing where, you know, where it would naturally discharge in my system. And suddenly it just doesn't, it's not there like that bad feeling or that urge to say something. And the slowing down has been a big part of my, as I work on my boundaries and that, you know, the things about validation is that if we slow down just a little bit, we actually, we really do connect with our authentic selves. I know we talk about our authentic selves, like it's the thing that we talk about a lot now, but that's that's an important piece for me. It's actually been a really big part of my work and continues to be a big part of my work because we can't we can't listen to ourselves if we don't give space for it. Yeah. And so it's everything from do is this a thing I want to do? In fact, there was when I, I just did my my second module for SE and we do triads just like we do in coaching. So one person observes, one person's facilitator, one person's client. And I had gone like twice first as facilitator. And I said, and I was called out to do facilitating again. And I said, 
Oh, I just did it twice. I said, I, I could do it a third time. And one of the assistants said, check in with your body, check in with your body and make sure. And I had to sit with it because I really am. I, I've, I have been such a very proud of the fact that I am willing to do things even when other people aren't. And it's really hasn't served me. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, that's an example of somebody making sure, you know, teaching me and, and, and reminding me to check in with myself. Because if we just checked in with our bodies, like, oh, I'll feel like a, you know, almost butterflies in my throat or, or my back might start hurting or, or my hands will feel floaty. Like I just suddenly I'm, I'm aware of like, okay, maybe this doesn't feel good. And you've just convinced yourself. So that's some of the tools that that I think have been significant. But like I said, in befriending the nervous system, I'm also giving myself permission to have the feeling where before I shame the shit out of myself for having the feeling like, why does this keep coming up? Mm. And, you know, even though in therapy, I was told to have compassion and coaching, we, you know, we talk about compassion. And when I started giving my body permission to just feel the thing, it was like a, like a, like a vapor. It just, the moment I gave it permission, I could just feel it just go off into the air and it was gone. So sitting and being okay with the fact that your nervous system isn't always going to respond, even after you've done a whole lot of work. Like, okay. So this is where we are right now. Yesterday you were okay. Today you're not okay. All right. Let's, let's see what you need. Well, it seems like a a wonderful gift to yourself. And in a lot of ways, that's what presence is, right? Just meeting, meeting yourself, meeting reality where it is without an agenda to fix it or shift it or move it a certain way. And yeah, I think another thing that I'm struck by in your response there is that it, it seems like it's true for me and a lot of people is the thing that we think we're most effective with. So for me, it's I, I'm I've fancied myself really good at kind of understanding what someone else's reality is, like sizing someone else up pretty quickly and seeing, oh, like I could tell that you are feeling a little bit tense and a little bit anxious right now. Yeah. And I've, you know, I've internalized that as I'm empathetic. I could really feel what they're feeling right now. That that actually, in the way that you described where you're fast and you get stuff done and you're willing to take the leap before other people I really prided myself on that, but it also is, it doesn't serve most of the time, especially in coaching where um, I'm telling someone else what their reality is instead of letting them get, come to terms with what their own reality is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And you know, such a nice way to do that is to say, I noticed that you, you know, sat back or I noticed that your shoulders went up or I noticed that, you know, your, your jaw got a little tight. Do you, do you feel that, you know? then you can, then they get to say what that, what that is. Yeah. Yeah. I know this is just a, it's a huge, huge, put that in the beginning of a sentence. There's a, a natural level of detachment from the statement. It's just, this is what I'm seeing. How does that yeah. with you? Yeah. And you know, what's it, what comes to mind just now is in therapy, you know, it, it's pretty common. I don't know that it's necessarily trained this way, but a lot of therapists will say, well, that's, that's because you're feeling X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Yeah. And in coaching, we cannot do that. 
you know, I mean, we are tested. I mean, you cannot do that. And that is one of the things I love about coaching that therapy just, it's not as common as you ask permission. Can I make an observation? Can I reflect something back to you? Are you open to hearing my thoughts? I have some thoughts around it. Are you feeling, you know, are you feeling open to it today? Is the asking permission to share a thing and, and, and also to your point, checking ourselves, like checking ourselves, like, is it necessary to say this, mm-hmm. you know, and how can I put this in a way that they can tell me what's going on that I'm, you know, I'm not telling them what their reality is. Mm. It reminds me of, do you know who Jerry Colonna is? He's, oh, yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that our shared colleague, Matt, worked with him, but he, I believe. He worked with somebody else in the firm, but the firm, he worked uh, with the firm. Reboot, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, I believe Jerry has, he writes weight on his own laptop screen when he's when he's in a coaching session and weight is actually it serves as a double entendre weight as in weight but also it's an acronym why am i talking uh, no and i did not know that and i've read reboot did you read reboot i didn't i did uh, but i've heard him on several podcasts and he said that he has that written up which is a, a good reminder to listen <laughs> yeah uh, to not jump in and, and think that you have the answer. Yeah. To ourselves too. I mean, yeah. how many times have you tried to convince yourself? Oh my yourself? God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, as we move towards the back end here, I, I think I had a, a curiosity of mine that's coming up. And then I also want to see if there's anything that we didn't get to today that yeah. you want to bring in. But you mentioned earlier that, as a child that you're kind of able to look back into your childhood and see while it was full of turmoil and that you felt alone and isolated a lot of times that there was a gift there. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, it did come up at a, another point in the conversation. There were, there was another adversity I think that came up for you, but I would just be curious to hear, it doesn't seem like that's registering. So if we just look at your childhood, in terms of feeling isolated, feeling like you had to seek approval. What would you say was the gift that based on doing all the inner work you've done? What, I mean, that's a big question, but. Oh, you know, the reason why that I don't have an immediate answer is I think for years I used to tell myself that I was empathetic and it made me empathetic. And really what I meant was it made me hyper vigilant to people's emotions and I called it empathy. <laughs> so I haven't really gone back and thought about specifically what the gift is. Like the gift is it led me to this work. I feel like even if you have the most perfect childhood, we all need to learn more about ourselves. And I don't know that I would have come to this work had I had, you know, just a lovely, perfect existence. If, if that's actually a thing. So it's brought me to some deeper work. I think it's made me more compassionate. Maybe that's a nicer way to put it rather than empathetic. Um, I have a, a recent aversion to the word empathy because of what I shared. So I would say it's made me, it's made me compassionate. And while for the longest time, I think it, I, that compassion allowed me to let people walk on me. And that's not really the case anymore at all. 
I think that compassion has remained as well as my capacity for uh, people's flaws. Yeah. You know, there's some capacity there. You know, my mom is in the hospital right now. She was admitted this weekend and she's at the end of her life. She's ready to die. She's been telling everybody that she's ready to die. And going through this work, you know, I've been angry at her for a long time. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of her. We don't have a relationship. I do feel obligated to take care of her, which is a whole other conversation that is not necessary to start up now, but, but because of this hard work that I've done from becoming a coach, being a coach, going to therapy, doing plant medicine, doing the somatics work, I'm finally at a place, a healthy place where I actually have real compassion for my mom mm. and that she was a human and she did it so poorly, but she, she didn't get to do this work. It was not part of their generation. It wasn't supported. She was enabled for a lot of her life. And so I've, it's really brought me, um, it's really brought me compassion for her. I mean, this is all just this week. I don't know how long she's going to be around and I won't ever get to have a conversation with her where she apologizes or has any insight because she's just, she doesn't, she's not able to, but I think that I'm aware enough now that I, um, that I don't need it. And yeah, I guess the gift is that I don't even know how to put it into words. Hopefully I did a good job in putting it somewhat into words, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think that the combination, it's not so much that my childhood gave it to me. It's just, maybe it gave me the opportunity to find more, but I suppose I seize the opportunity too. Well, in, in my humble opinion, you did a, a wonderful job of putting it into words. And I, I again, I, I really appreciate you sharing so rawly and candidly and authentically about your own experiences. It's, a, it's an incredible, generous gift. Thanks. And you're welcome. Thank you. Yes. I know there's going to be things I wished I'd talk to you about, but <laughs> I can't think of it right now. We've covered quite a bit and hopefully... Hopefully it's some um, helpful information for somebody. Yes, I, I trust that it will be. So if if there's nothing else, and if if during the last couple of questions, something else comes up, please feel free to interject. Yeah. And yeah, actually, I do have one more curiosity before my maybe final back end rapid fire type of questions. But I know that you have taken interest in photography and you actually mentioned Reiki at one point and I wonder if there's just, if you could say a, a little bit about other, other things that, I don't know, deepen your zest mm -hmm. for life or that yeah. feel con connected to who you are. You know, I haven't been doing as much photography in the last few years. Really, that's because of COVID. Like, it just mm -hmm. shut things down. So before COVID, I started my photography journey, if you will, in I think it was 2010, approximately. And it was, you know, my kids have a lovely library of their childhood because I was always documenting them. And maybe that'll be a point of therapy at some point. <laughs> 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 uh, 
But I, once, once they were done being photographed, um, I got a really good opportunity to work with a nonprofit that does work in Africa and India, and they help vulnerable kids become self-sustainable. And so I traveled a lot to Africa with my good friend, Tina, who is one of the administrators for the program. And photography, yeah, it's, even though I'm not doing it now, it still feels very much a part of me. It's... It, it, I mean, this is going to sound trite. It changes how you view the world. It changes your lens. I mean, could it be more trite? But it's actually true. It, you know, I, I, when I look around the world since I, since I started photography, um, I, I see beauty differently. Um, I really love people, and so when I was doing photography, I, I love shooting people and. And I, I don't really love posing too much, although that can be beautiful. I, I love um, just getting, you know, people just going about their lives. And I think, I think that work really, yeah, just helped me connect to people in a different way because I didn't have to be part of the equation, like on the other side of the lens. And I could just really tend to people in that way and share their story and show their beauty and help them feel comfortable. And I guess that's kind of, now that I'm saying it out loud, I think that's translated to coaching. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, Reiki, when I, when I went into it, funny enough, I actually decided to go into Reiki because in a particular harrowing moment of ayahuasca ceremony, I said, oh my God, it's enough. Cause it was, I felt pummeled with all of this really hard information that I was having a process. And I said, can you just, can you give me something light? Like I'm begging in the inside my head. And I said, like something to pursue that, that will connect, you know, that, that would be important for me in my life. And it showed me doing Reiki with clients. Yeah. And so I followed the sign and I, and I did it and I would still say it's new to me. I spend more time doing self Reiki, which was not the thing that I had planned to do when I jumped into it. Cause I always thought of Reiki as, you know, how we all think of it, which is going to somebody and having them, you know, practice on you, but I use it a lot for myself. And that's, it's, it's, it's just another way to drop into yourself and connect to yourself. And also the thing about Reiki is that you're not controlling the process, right? It's, which is a lot like coaching. You are saying, I am, I am just a vehicle for this energy to move through and I am not going to direct it. And um, we're going to see, you know, where it goes and you know, what's needed. So it, it all kind of, it's a lovely blend. I'm not really doing it with my coaching clients. Maybe someday that'll come up, but right now I'm just kind of deepening, deepening my connection with that energy. And if I, if I had told you I was going to be doing this three years ago, if you had told me I was going to be doing this, I should say three years ago, I would kind of laugh and it's just not where I was, but here I am. <laughs> Plant medicine will open you up to things that you didn't know was possible for yourself. So, yeah, it's funny talking about those. It's the first time I've really kind of connected and, and seen seen the connection to how it all really works well together, all the, the experiences. So thanks for asking that. Mm, of course, it's a, it's a beautiful insight and it's it's fun to see it unfold and, and click in that way. It, it definitely makes sense to me. And yeah, before, and there's actually another question that I want to ask before I get to the very back end. In the screening, I ask, what's one question that you would love to be asked? Mm, and yeah. I don't know if you remember the question that you posed, but 
the question, which is a very interesting one to drop at the end here is, do you believe that somatics or is somatics just another trend? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, and I know you, it, we all watch it, you know, there's so many different trainings for therapists and for coaches and body workers. And we just, you know, just like a clothing trend, they can, they can go in and out. And you and I both know that, I mean, somatics has been around, well, Peter's been working, you know, doing SE for 40 years. So that work's been around for a long time. So technically, if you go by that, you can say it's not really a trend, but it's definitely out there. And I think that it's going to be, the reason why I wanted to ask that question was, I don't want it to be dismissed by people going, I don't want to do that. It's just the newest thing, mm. uh, like internal family systems, which is also incredible work, but also incredibly trendy right now, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I, I don't think somatics is going anywhere. I think it's going to continue to evolve. We'll have, you know, new new voices, you know, new teachers, new, new creators of, of the work. And I think it'll become, I like to hope it'll become just another part of our language because it's it's really the piece that we've been missing as humans yeah i agree and i would even go as far as to say i you, know, you would never you wouldn't ask is music still a trend and i hope or are movies a trend they've they've become so ubiquitous with our culture that you would never think like you know one day music's not going to really matter yeah. And I would love for somatics to have that level of impact, because I think that given given the many various crises that we are in as a species and as a planet, I think a lot of the a lot of the wisdom about how we can proceed as a species is it's not going to come from our thinking brain at this point. It's going to it needs integration with the body. And so I, I really hope that it is not. I hope I know. I know. So anyway, that that's why that question was important to me is that I just, you know, I, I see people being dismissive in moments. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I think it's here to stay just because, because it's showing us so much and people are healing so much. There's no way. I mean, mm -hmm. there's no way that we can set it aside as, as a trend. So mm -hmm. Well, now I will, as promised, move on to the last few questions of the interview. Yeah. What is an ordinary everyday moment that brings you great joy? Oh, first thing that comes to mind, I actually have a tea practice that I do every single morning. Like I can't start my day without it. I feel a little discombobulated. Um, so I have tea and then I drop into meditation and I know it's Maybe that's not ordinary to people, but it's it's a ritual that I have every single day and brings me a lot of joy and a lot of connection to myself. And it's to start my day that way has really shifted, really shifted for me. Um, I used to sit with coffee in my phone on the couch. Yeah. And so to make that 180 of a switch has changed how I show up for myself and just you know, how I function. What does your, very quickly, what does your meditation practice look like? Um, you know, I, I never studied meditation. So what I do is just what I do for myself. I mean, we do a little bit in PVC because it's part of, it's part of the curriculum, right? And uh, so 
I actually was struggling with meditation. I would set a timer for five minutes just to make sure I stayed there for five minutes. And this was at the beginning of PVC and somewhere, and I don't remember where I saw, I saw Tia's ritual and I thought, wow, maybe, maybe if I incorporate that and set my coffee aside and put my phone down and I make it, you know, this, you know, morning ritual, maybe, maybe that'll help me with meditation. And it did. Mm. I actually, you know, it depends on the day. I, so I, you know, when you, if you know anything about tea ceremony, there's, you have to set the stage. And so there's the ritual of setting the stage. I have flowers, I have my teacup, I have water catchment bowl, I have the tea, the teapot, and then I have the tea kettle. It's a whole thing. And so I do three cups of tea. And when I'm all done, I drop into meditation and I can sit there now for, it depends on the day between 30 and 45 minutes Mm -hmm. and just sit. And my mind isn't blank the whole time. God bless the people who accomplish that, but I'm calm. And what I usually do, and it's another piece of somatics that gets weaved in now. I mean, it's even more so now that I'm doing it is that as soon as my mind gets busier, I just start, you know, I, I focus on my body. Maybe it's a stand. Maybe I'm focusing on my heart space. I'm also a yoga teacher. And so I'll use that time and, and I'll spend some time on my chakras. And I am not a big woo-woo person, but when I start talking to you and start naming off all the things, I sound so woo-woo. And woo-woo is okay. I just don't think of myself that way. Uh-huh. But, you know, it, the thing I love about the chakras is that, you know, if you know about them, it's... It's, I mean, it's, it's such a great way to connect with yourself and what's going on, you know, your root for safety, your sacral for creativity and sexuality. And yeah, you're, we can go on and on, but you know, it's such a great way to, in the, in the mornings, if I, if I'm doing a, you know, checking in with my chakras, just seeing what feels stuck, what feels important. And when you spend time with your body in that space, so I guess I'm a little bit active. Somebody might say that's not really meditation. Well, it's my meditation yeah. and it works for me. And I am so peaceful when I'm done and I feel so connected to my body. And I mean, there's some mornings where I have my phone to the side because it's, that's where the music is. And just in case a, an errant song that makes me crazy comes on, I need to have it right there. But because the phone lives there, it's also another way for me to see when I'm feeling antsy. Yeah. Cause I'll go reach for my phone like five times and I'm like, oh, okay, so what's right. going on? Which it reminds me of what, what I shared about seeking the validation through going on. You know, that's, that's how kind of how it shows up for me when I'm trying to seek validation through how many likes I've got on LinkedIn, or if I go to Podbean, my pod, my podcasting platform. So it's all, it's all really useful information. Right. Yeah. 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 And oh, I, there was a term I was going to bring up earlier that I love that my faculty from SE mentioned, and I'm, I'm now I, I just lost it. So give me one second. Dispassionate curiosity. Mm. We talk about curiosity a lot in coaching, but I love the dispassionate curiosity because it it means that you're not attached to right. It's it's the true definition of curiosity in the work that we're supposed to be doing. Anyway, so. Be, dip- be dispassionately curious about why we're reaching for our phones. Yeah. I wrote that down because I, that's, 
I, it's a very invitational way to just just be the noticer of your experience, right? Yeah, yeah, that was a good one too. Yeah. What if you had to recommend or say two or three books that have had the biggest impact on you in the past, let's say six months to a year, or you can even go a little beyond that. Oh what would be gosh. a couple of books that you would name? And they don't even, they don't have to do with, maybe it's a science fiction book. It could be anything at all. Oh my God. I'm not going to be able to pull it up. I have read in the last six months, I think like 25 books. Wow. I know I read, I like to read. I usually have 10 at once. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I'll send you a picture of my ottoman. <laughs> Oh my gosh, two books. Oh my God, I want to pull out like the brilliant answer, but I have a bad feeling. I'm not going to remember. Oh my gosh, I'm going to forget the books. I'm just drawing an absolute blank. I did enjoy Waking the Tiger quite a bit, which is Peter Levine's first book on SE. That was that I devoured in like, like three days. It's really wow. good. Well written. And you know, it's funny, maybe because you mentioned Jerry, and it's not even a book that I read in the last six months, but since we talked about it, I actually really enjoyed his book, uh, Reboot, and I enjoyed it so much, I gave it to my husband, who like thanked me about five times <laughs> for recommending the book, and then he recommended it to one of his best friends who has since recommended it to like other people. So anyway, it's not something I've read in the last six months, but since we mentioned Jerry, I feel... I feel like it's a book that should have more traction or maybe it does, but I think he, it's a, it's a really great book. You did a good job. It's, it awesome. makes you stop and think. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, I wish, oh. I wish I could have some better recall on the books, the many books that I've read, but I just can't. I haven't read either of those books, but I imagine that those two will provide immense value for anyone who feels compelled to, to buy the book and to read the book. So yeah. no worries there. So where, where would you invite folks to connect with you online before I ask my very final question? Yeah, so you can, well, there's two places, tremainecoaching.com. And then Matt and I also work together. And so I would also invite people to look at prairiesattva.com. That's prairie and then S-A-T-T-V-A.com, both places. Yeah, I have my photography, I think, still online, Tremaine <laughs> photography, but... Can confirm that you do. That, that still exists, I think. Well, I'll, I'll invite the listeners to take a look. I took a look at the photography and oh, it, you did. Yeah, and it, it had it has an impact on me. I'm not typically as moved by by art or photography as I am by effective storytelling that's in words yeah. or listening to a podcast. But I was very moved by some of the photos that you took. Oh, thank Both you. In, evocative in you could kind of see the the sorrow or the, mm. the struggle, the turmoil that some of the children were going through in the photos. And then also there's one I'm picturing of the, the radiant joy of the child that it shined through in the photo. So it was effective storytelling through the photography. Thank you. That means a lot. I, I, that's my hope, or that has been my hope when I take a photo is that it evokes something in you, you know? Mm -hmm. So thanks. Yeah. You are welcome. And the final question that I ask, Kara, the podcast is called Mike's Search for Meaning. And I would love to know in your own words, what it means to live a meaningful life. I feel like I should have prepared this. Well, I, I, I little broken record, but because I feel like my, my work right now is living authentically, mm -hmm. 
because I've lived so much of my life trying to take care of or please others. I think, I, th- I think a meaningful life is one where you're truly connected to yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I had asked in a, in a, in a psilocybin mushroom journey to connect more with spirit because I feel pretty grounded on this earth that my work to do in this lifetime is here on this earth. Like I have to focus. And because of that, I don't always feel necessarily connected to spirit, whatever that means. Right. And the answer that I got during that journey is that if you want to connect to spirit, you have to connect to yourself first. So I feel like that's really the meaning of life. We spend a lot of time, you know, it's important for us to be connected with others, but if you're not connected to yourself, then you can't really have meaningful, a meaningful life. Mm. Well, a beautiful way to end, uh, just a, a delightful conversation. And yeah, thank two, you so much. Thanks for making it easy and comfortable. I appreciate it. It is my pleasure. It's, it's really an honor and a privilege. And I, I really appreciate the way that you have a, there's a natural, how do I want to say this? I felt like I was able to drop into really slowing down and being present with you in a a really natural, organic way that this felt more. I love all of my podcast interviews. I think one of the gifts of doing podcasts is I truly fall in love with every single guest that I have on the show. And they all have a different energy, but what I would name about your energy is that there is a, there's an openness that feels available without me having to dance around it for the first 30 minutes or 45 minutes that you're able to just drop in and share what's true to you. And I'm I'm also appreciating the way that you're kind of in the midst of a lot of the things that you're talking about and your willingness to share while you're in the process. It's, it's really an incredible gift. And I think that that's something that goes underestimated a lot of the time is one of the societal expectations a lot of times is you, you start to talk about things when you've got your shit together, or you've got it figured no out. No one's and, got their shit together. <laughs> which, of course, is total bullshit. But yeah. yeah. But anyway, your willingness to take us on this journey with you and, and saying, here's what, what I've learned. Here are my insights. Here's how I provide support. And I'm forever unfinished and learning and really just beginning to immerse myself in this. I experience that to be an incredible gift. And this conversation was nice and warm for my nervous system. I trust that that would, will be emitted through the airwaves to whoever's tuned in listening. Thank you. High yeah. compliment. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're very welcome. And yeah, to, to all the listeners, whenever you are listening, I hope that you connect with yourself and that you have a beautiful rest of your day or evening. Take good care and lots of love. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to listen to Mike's Search for Meaning. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, share this episode with your friends, and leave a review. I look forward to seeing you next time, my friends. And until then, stay safe, stay well, and keep living with purpose. Peace.